2: The Frontline Gaming Network presents Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. The Frontline Gaming Network presenting Art of War with Nick Nedavati and John Damaris.
0: Hey guys, this is Nick Nanavati from the Art of War podcast, and you're listening to another episode with our featured guest, John Lennon, not the singer. And we have our other co-host, John
1: Damaris. Say hi, guys. So much, John. Hey, everyone.
3: Hey, hi! Thanks for having me on.
1: Yeah, John. It's been a pleasure. We're super excited to have you on, actually. I think I've been telling you in messages, I'm like, go win something so I can have you on my podcast, right? So um, thank you for obliging.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I schedule an event just for you guys. Not really. I go to Crucible every single year, but you know, it was good timing.
1: Well, you really won because we told you
3: to, not because you wanted it. So we appreciate you. I mean, I, I also won the past two years I went, but yeah, yeah, it was just for you.
0: Thanks. So um, you took Space Points, if I recall, to this event. But, but the cool part here is you didn't take Iron Hands. So why don't you, well, you didn't take all Iron Hands. So why don't you tell us what your list was?
3: All right, so my kind of Iron Hands, kind of not Iron Hands, was a mix of White Scars and Iron Hands, uh, Iron Hands successors. So what I ended up rocking was a double battalion and a spearhead. Uh, both battalions were White Scars, and they involved 30 scouts, 20 melee, 10 bolter, and two jump pack chaplains, a smash captain, and a Terminator librarian, as well as 10 centurions, two units of five with uh, flamers but no hurricane bolters. And then the Iron Hand's successor, Spearhead, uh, rocked the classic combination of stealthy and master artisans. And that included nine Eliminators, a generic tech Marine on foot, a Thunderfire Cannon, and three dreadnoughts who would become characters in every game. Two of those were venerable with Laz Cannon autocannon, Auto Cannon, and one of them was the Mortis with Quad Laz Cannon.
0: Interesting. So unlike uh, most Iron Hands players, you opted not for Pharos. Uh, the Iron Father, and you went for successor chapters. I've seen some other top players who've seen success do that recently too. Uh, Most notably, I suppose, would be Nick Rose who took down BFS. Um, Can you kind of explain why for that specific choice?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So, Pharos, he's obviously incredibly good. 110 points for the package that he gives you is amazing. Um, I just felt like he pigeonholes you into one play style where you are going to be clustered around Pharos to get that buff. Because if something isn't in the buff, then they just shoot that. And as far as you know, math is concerned, nothing's in the buff. So it really pigeonholes you into one playstyle. And I've always tried to avoid lists that only have one direction to go whenever I'm seriously trying to compete. So ignore my Nova Invitational list. Um, just because if you try to do one thing, someone will always do it better. There's always a bigger fish. If I tried to build the most shooty army possible, I would somehow run into a list that could shoot harder than me, and then I would go second and lose, and there's just no fun in that. So, I didn't want to build an army around Ferris, which I feel you have to do if you're going to take him. That
0: makes a lot of sense. Um, And also, since you, I guess, opted for Iron Hands mostly for character dreads, as opposed to things like Repulsor Executioners or Storm Talons or any of those other classically good Iron Hands units, you're not in the, you don't need to really give them a five up invul or heal them a lot because they're not really taking damage anyway because they have the character keyword.
3: Yeah, ideally every single Iron Hand unit in the army is either out of line of sight or a character behind someone else who's out of line of sight. So I certainly didn't feel like it was necessary. and I definitely didn't miss it in any of my playtesting or in my game this weekend. But it, it's a very strong build going pure Iron Hands. But in the end, the successor tactics and the more conservative playstyle that I prefer just didn't melt that.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say the Iron Hands, their trait isn't actually too useful. Again, you don't care about six of pain Paints install character dreads and then not degrading doesn't matter to dreadnuts and then six uh five Overwatch, it's it's all right, but how often are you getting charged with a White scars army? I feel like uh, Master Artisans in particular would be really useful for the, the low volume, uh high quality shots that your detachment brings within the form of las cannons and eliminators. So master artisans makes a lot of sense. And then eliminators with stealthy is just money in the bank.
3: Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, the the stealthy part did not come up very often. Um, and then you know, since you mentioned the traits that I wasn't using by skipping out on nine hands, it's also amusing that venerable dreadnoughts come inbuilt with a six of Feel of pain. So it really did not come up. <laughs>
1: That's true. That's true. I forgot about that. They so- also don't. They also don't degrade, right? So. There's yeah. also that. Correct. Yeah. They're all eight ones. Really,
0: not taking Iron Hands uh, basically means you don't get the Iron Stone, um, unless you're Iron Hands Warlord. But I assume your White Scars guy was the Warlord. But I guess Iron Stone doesn't matter to you because again, you're not taking damage because character roll.
3: Yeah, I actually did not take a wound on a dreadnought this weekend, so I think it worked out pretty well. That's pretty pretty, <laughs> <silly>. <laughs> that pretty nice.
1: Yeah. So there's there's something I want to ask you about. I think is interesting. um in your White Scars battalions, your, specifically your Assault Centurions, no Hurricane Bolters. Do you want to talk about that choice for a minute?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So my logic with no Hurricane Bolters is that the, the great strength of, of White Scars and why I took them as White Scars instead of a successor is just in their ability to advance in charge. If I'm going to advance, then I'm not firing Hurricane Bolters innately. And there is a one command point stratagem to turn rapid fire into assault, but that cuts the number of shots in half, it gives me a minus one to hit and bleeds my command points. So, my logic was that if I'm advancing them, they're not going to be shooting because I don't want to spend command points on it. Now, in hindsight, I have considered taking uh, one squad with Hurricane Bolters as the unit that I would outflank, but I really didn't miss it because I felt like I had enough anti-infantry. And also, I don't actually want to shoot screens to death because I have the the thatch Captain, the Master of Snares, as well as centurions that I can um, use a couple buffs to make them consolidate very, very far. So I actually want to charge the screens so that I can get a wrap or otherwise lock them in combat and make sure that I don't get shot. If I have my hurricane bolters, yeah, sure, I could kill thirty extra guardsmen a turn, but that doesn't really do anything for me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I think a lot of times what I would, rec- what I would uh, imagine you doing if you had hurricane bolters would be outflanking a squad and shooting whatever not you know you're nine inches away from whatever unit is closest shoot with your 24 inch guns way past that unit into something else and that way you can still make your nine inch charge which is really like a six or whatever white scars does and then um wrap whatever your screen is and at least now you've also done damage to the next thing in line or something threatening past it was that just something you never felt like you missed
3: Um, it seemed nice, but, um, in none of my games has it actually come up as something I really wanted. Um, with that said, I probably, if I modify this list, I probably would slap the Hurricane Bolters on one squad for the reason you described. I just kind of need to find where I'm going to free the 50 points up from. Um, the other thing is that when I have, um, these centurions on the board compared to a different army centurions, I want them out of line of sight. Uh, because I have my character dreads, there are no big targets to be shot at. So if I just have one Centurion squad line of sight, every single gun in the army is going at it. I would rather have that out of line of sight as well and have my opponent shoot scouts with his last cannons. So, and if I have the guns, I'm going to be tempted to use them. So I removed the temptation and I, in my planning process, I thought that I was going to have both squads of Centurions on the board more often than I did. <clears throat> what normally ended up happening was that I did outflank a unit, but kind of the plan going in was that I would run them both across the table and, That was more of an adjustment I made on the fly when I saw opponent in terrain.
0: Gotcha. So that um, really brings me to my next question, I guess. If you found you're doing... If you're going to outflank a squad because opponent in terrain, you're either going to get shot off the board because there's only so much you can hide or maybe you're afraid of tremor shells from opposing space marines or whatever it is. Um, Why White Scars over Raven Guard? Since you're already mixing detachments... You can obviously take a Raven Guard attachment as your third and still keep your Iron Hand, still keep your White Scars for Master of Snares and, and White Scars tricks. Um, but you now you also get Deep Striking instead of Outflanking, which is just a little well better.
3: The real difference was the, the likelihood of making that charge off of Deep Strike. Um, as you mentioned, I can take a White Scar Centurion unit and Outflank them. Then I deep strike a Terminator librarian near them, um, because of the range of the power, I can cast it from out of deny or iron hand range, give them plus two to charge, run a character up to them with a plume of the planes runners, and give them plus one to charge, and then I can do command points to do a 3d6, take the two highest charge. I did not fail that charge this weekend, which had a lot to do with my success, but you know, 3d6 plus three, you should make that more often than not. Um, really is the reliability of making it off deep strike and wanting to combine all of my buffs into one. Uh, is the reason I did that. As well, having the natural advance in charge felt stronger than having to be near a character to advance in charge to me. Raven Guard felt like they could arrive very consistently, and once they arrived, they would struggle to keep up if someone fast ran away from them. White Scars, if that initial punch didn't knock someone out, felt like they would be in a better position. The way I saw it, Raven Guard are better for not winning a game easy, and White Scars are better if you need to win it on turn 5 or 6. And I find that you know, by day two of these events, I'm usually playing really good players, such as, you know, Richard Siegel or a couple other local guys who are very good and have one GTs of their own. I decided I wanted the long term, uh, the long term success of the White Scars because turns five or six, they just do so much more being able to run around the board. Gotcha. Yeah.
0: And that's even without their, their doctrine that makes them so strong late game. You're still even at just normal damage and all that you still think White Scars so that's what's stronger in the later game, which is interesting because it's a, traditionally an assault army and people often think assault armies want to get in close in the early turns.
3: Yeah, um, normally that is the case. Um, what I found was that my army kind of forced the decision where I didn't have to go into assault early because I could just sit behind scouts that were out of line of sight and shoot. And it doesn't look like a lot of shooting. It's only three Rifleman Dreads, and everyone has seen a Rifleman Dread at some point in past editions. And that wasn't enough to just make someone in one turn panic. But by turns two or three, when they realized that the damage was adding up and they weren't doing anything back, then they started to get involved and the centurions would come play. And so I kind of got to keep the centurions just behind a wall for a couple turns while I waited until my opponent realized what was happening. And then by turns four, five, six, they were absolutely running around, jumping from buildings and uh, crushing people.
0: Yeah, yeah, centurions are monsters.
1: I have a question. If if I could jump in really quick, Please, Yeah. Um. I noticed in your Iron Hands Battalion or uh, Spearhead uh, that you've got three units of Eliminators, and then how many Thunderfires are you playing?
3: Uh, just the one. Um,
1: Do you feel like there's maybe an opportunity to add more Thunderfires to your list, potentially?
3: Yes, absolutely. Um. I guess we should know at the time of us recording this that you are allowed to take as many character Dreadnoughts as you want, just in case. That should change in the future, hopefully. Um, That is something that I have been thinking about um, changing. Uh, Part of the reason I didn't is because of model availability. I was able to secure one Thunderfire and Attack Marine for this tournament. I was not able to secure two. Um, So while I'm working on getting more just for my collection now, um, at the time it didn't really feel like an option because of how short-term I wrote this list. Um, I really like Thunderfires uh, twice this past weekend, which, uh, Crucible, I played against a triple Thunderfire list, and both times the Thunderfires were very dangerous until I was able to take them out. So I can see the value of triple Thunderfire, I absolutely think that they're worth the points, I intend to get some, and if they were to change Dreadnoughts to being only one character, I probably would keep one Dreadnought in and go triple Thunderfire at that point, as well as sprinkle some points in elsewhere, like maybe the Hurricane Bolters that Nick mentioned.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, personally, I ran a very similar list to you this past weekend. I ran double Thunderfire and double Mortis dread, um, And I thought the two Thunderfires were necessary. I wish I had three. Uh, definitely not really considering going down to one anytime soon. Yeah, uh,
3: I, I loved mine. Um, I kind of consider the combined three Eliminators as an extra Thunderfire because they put out nine shots at strength 5 AP2 that hit on twos and ignore line of sight. So that's kind of like a consistent Thunderfire in its own. But just having more Thunderfires would also be pretty fun.
0: Let's talk about the Eliminators, now that you bring it up. How did you just generally like those?
3: Um, They were a little hit or miss. Um, I had some games where I thought they weren't going to be very useful. But even in those, they usually had at least one turn where they were good. Um, I think their kill count, um, I took out an Ironstone Lieutenant with them. I killed the cannonist who gives the 4-up buff to all the vehicles around. Um, I actually killed both a Yavara and a Knight with them, but both of those were at one wound when I started shooting. Um, they, they did a lot for me overall. I liked having them. I liked having a forward unit that was a little more durable. They especially became valuable in the Marine Mirror matches. Um, obviously that's, that's literally why I took them by the way, is because, uh, scouts in cover are great until someone starts shooting AP two indirect fire that could potentially can recover. That's when scouts die. Eliminators with their one-up in cover, uh, they will last a lot longer against thunderfires. And indeed, I lost most of my scouts pretty quick in both of my Iron Hand games, and the eliminators out of line of sight trudged on for a lot longer. And consequently, <clears throat> in the Marine match, killing their characters is the most important way to win that game, and that's the real reason they were there. Uh, overall, they were very solid. I don't plan on taking them out. I think that you have to take them with uh, master artisans, though because they're always going to be too spread out for characters. You really want those rerolls to get the value out of them. I'd say that if I wasn't taking Master Artisans due to other constraints of the list, I probably wouldn't take them.
0: So I'm curious how you just generally deployed them and whatnot, because oftentimes if you put them in the middle of the board behind whatever ruin blocks line of sight, you're vulnerable to getting charged early on and get worse, even worse getting wrapped. And then that's a potentially a big problem for you depending on what you're playing against. Uh, and also there's the theory of the potential problem of marine mirrors where the other guy gets to put his scouts out first because you won the deployment role. And then he puts the scouts in the ruins in the middle and then your eliminators don't have anywhere to go. So what do you? how did you cope with that?
3: So I did end up actually going uh, in a hard deploy second in the mirror match where indeed my opponent put his scouts in the ruins in the middle and my stuff had to go spread out. Um, that was actually pretty annoying. However, eliminators can move and fire very efficiently because they're. uh, I don't ignore Heavy despite being Iron Hands because I'm not pure. However, their Ignore line of sight shot is plus two to hit. So at ballistic skill three, plus two to hit, minus one from Heavy, you still hit on twos, so no problem for me. Um, So I was comfortable deploying them a little farther back and moving them upwards. I just made sure that I moved them at the same time as another threatening unit, like a Centurion. And when I did that, um, even if I was moving out of cover, the stealthy trait meant that they were still having a one-up in the open. It really just was never worth it for my opponent to shoot at them. Or when they did shoot them, they never had the results they wanted, so I was happy. Um, I did deploy at least one squad far forward, typically, and I just made sure that I deployed that almost opposite from my centurions. so that if someone tried to come charge me and wrap me, then I would just springboard right off them with the Centurions. That is actually what ended up happening with my round six opponent, uh, Daniel Smith. He hard deployed first. He put his scouts out to limit my deployment options. I put my one Eliminator squad forward anyway, and he did go charge them with scouts to prevent me from shooting, but my Centurions got a good advance, got a 3d6 charge, went right in, and were able to kill the scouts and consolidate off of that up into an L-shaped ruin and really give me some good board control. So in that aspect, I didn't mind losing an Eliminator squad. Uh, I think I only lost two of them anyway, and the last guy sniped for a couple turns. Uh, I also like to put one up forward in the Chaos matchup um, because of their Deny the Witch stratagem. With that said, it really does depend on the chaos army in question. Um, my round four this weekend, I played against a Disco Rush with Ironman, but they didn't have a a mirror, so I wasn't worried about getting trapped in combat. I just put them up against a Ruin, so I could go to the other side. But I used Do the you are-
0: play bears either, because that, that was my co- question for chaos. Is like if you put them in the middle of mm-hmm. the
3: threatened characters, they're going to get hugged by play bears all day. Yeah, and that would admittedly suck. Um, this list in question was Triple Knight, Triple Disco. Uh, so it's very see. much a threat overload list where did I lose them? Yeah, absolutely. But before that, I stopped warp time um, on a Disco Lord, which let me last cannon him. Right. Um, against the Plague Bear list, um, quite frankly, I don't think about the Plague Bear list much anymore because as long as Iron Hands exist, there's no reason to play it. Um, it's going to get slaughtered, in my opinion, by the Triple poster list. Um, I saw a... Uh, top what number 11 in the ITC take his play Bear Horde and a triple repulsor and lose by maybe 15-20 points this weekend so oh my God, yeah. <laughs> it's just the math doesn't work anymore I don't think that the best players will be taking it so I don't consider that a weakness of the list anymore I, I don't think TJ, Lanigan or JV will be taking that list so I'm not worried about it. If I did see that I would just deploy the squads far back because they'll have plenty of room as a sniper in that list.
2: mm-hmm
0: and did you, last question for the limiters, um were you finding that you were, I guess there's, there's two questions in one here. One, like, would you often try to get the the more powerful line of sight oriented shots, or would you just settle for the ignores line of sight that only do one damage?
3: Uh, I was very content settling for the the one damage shots. Um, I'm very conservative. If you guys have ever watched me on stream, I usually don't take big risks like that. I don't see the need to present targets to my opponent because... If I'm shooting one damage and they're shooting zero damage back because they can't see me, that's going in my favor.
0: So I guess that leads perfectly into my final question on this. You, In your head, you wanted to deploy both scent squads and because terrain and opponents, you had to outflank one. But still, one scent squad, um, a Thunderfire, um, and nine Eliminators at the minimum – That's a lot of stuff to try to hide, especially if you want to hide your 30 scouts too, which is at this point, it's just unrealistic to hide all of that. And then your opponent is able to interact, kill your scouts, keep up on the scoreboard where your dreadnoughts are chipping him. He's blowing up scouts. Did you find that real estate was an issue for you as in like places to hide on the board?
3: Um, I actually didn't. Um, However, I also see a lot of the scouts as expendable. Um, What I usually did, and I stole this tactic from Siegler, I'll freely admit it, uh, but he's one of my regular practice partners so um i didn't mind losing six or seven units on turn one because on turn two then i would lose zero units right and so i I didn't really worry about that i just made sure that i had a hiding spot that would last me for a couple turns for a few of the more important units uh the thunderfire cannon i mostly just hid with range i just put him in the back corner um and no one else no one ever really had the the opportunity to shoot at him just because of other targets and worried about getting too close to centurions that were closer in the middle. Um, I also am not afraid to deploy the centurions far back uh, because of the way the movement phase is worded. They have a, a stratagem to double move, so you move advance, and then the advance value modifies that movement characteristic for the entire phase. So when you use the double move stratagem, you don't advance again; you just keep the value from the original one. So wow.
0: That's so, I always thought you just basically, it's a, it's a great strat for like something fast, but you only move four inches again. So not so many
3: percents. Yep. I'm um, so bad at this game. That's great. <laughs> I always <laughs> love teaching you things, Nick, especially I when I lose I the game anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's actually, um that's actually a combination of the movement phase rules and the tier net FAQ is why that works that way. But what I would do is if I wasn't having the middle real estate that I wanted um, I would put them relatively far back. Uh, I put my librarian back there, turn one, I wouldn't do much, just cast plus two to charge on them, or plus two to advance and charge on them, put the plume next to them, and then when I roll that advance, I add three to it, and that's, again, for the rest of the phase, so they can then move up, double move, they go very far up at that point, get into the middle of the table, get into the next piece of cover, even if there was a large piece of no man's land, so I never had any trouble with that, personally. Mm-hmm.
1: Wow, that's really cool. So, um, being a layman uh, or actually a fairly new player, looking at your list, it looks to me like your list sort of operates on the principle of I'm going to shoot you and eventually you're going to have to come into me. Otherwise, I'm content just shooting you when you're not shooting me back Um, and like trading something for nothing. Like, even if I kill the smallest thing, I still killed something. You're not killing anything. And When they decide to come into you, there's, oh, hey, you know, a bunch of assault centurions sitting over here, like, ready to punch you in the face. Um, Is that sort of summarize your overall strategy?
2: Yeah,
3: absolutely. Um, I was very content to wait until I had the advantage to just swamp someone. Um, So eventually, you know, if I'm shooting someone for two turns, I probably get to a point where I can just run the centurions forward and they just don't have enough guns left to deal with it. Um, But I was very content to wait for that point or wait for them to try to force the issue.
0: So it sounds like um, your list from this weekend and my list from this weekend played very similar, which is why I'm asking some kind of questions I am. But um, did you ever find a game, maybe against like Elder Flyers or Tau or anything of the sort where the other guy shoots a lot and you get yourself into this kind of staring contest where your dreadnoughts are chipping at him and his army is chipping away at yours, I guess. And unfortunately, the case is that you are only on one objective or depending on the mission, maybe even zero objectives while you're, you can't really go from turn piece of terrain to piece of terrain because you're just not fast enough, I guess. Were you able to, how were you able to deal with that? I guess, because you can't, he's not coming towards you. So you can't create any charges. And while you're chipping at him with your dreadnoughts, it's not at a fast enough rate. So he's just getting the hold more point from most of
3: the game. Yes, I definitely did run into that issue in one of my games this weekend. Um, it's actually probably not the list you'd expect. It was the triple knight, triple disco list. Um, Honestly, I got the
0: the, the issue. It came in for me was against uh, TJ Lanigan actually playing triple discos and Magnus. Oh, okay. So, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> um,
3: the triple knights um, are a list that um, I actually helped the guy write, much to my frustration. <laughs> um, <Classic>. It was <laughs> uh, it, it, we call it sex thermal because it is a Triple Knight list with six Thermal Cannons, um, which may sound terrible, but if so, you're thinking about the old meta, because in the new meta with Space Marines, it's amazing. Um, Unfortunately, he had very large Nova L's, and on this particular board, it wasn't a constant throughout the tournament, but they were tall enough to hide Imperial Knights behind, and his Mm -hmm. Knights moved much faster than my Dreadnought, so I was very much struggling to get Line of Sight. He had Discos out of Line of Sight. What I ended up doing was sacrificing, sacrificing a Centurion unit purely to get him to step into line of sight to see me. Where I had my Centurions out of line of sight and my Dreadnoughts were not shooting him. He was out of line of sight, just peppering me with those little Iron Storm rocket pods and killing maybe one scout unit at a turn. Um, what I ended up doing was outflanking um, one Centurion squad to get him out of the middle of the board, just purely to distract him, and the other one ran up just so that he would shoot me Thermal Cannons. He did end up stepping out of line of sight to see me, and I finally got to last can him. Uh, the other thing in that scenario was that all of these support units won me that game, because I lost all 10 Centurions by the end of... Uh, by the beginning of my turn 4, I had 0 Centurions alive. And the scouts hiding in ruins and jumping out and uh, mulching through cultists are what ended up winning me that game. Um, I actually positioned 3 squads in a ruin completely from the other side of my board. And for three turns, I advanced them forward and charged a coldest squad and got the bonus point. And the, the little units like that, um, which may look just like support pieces, do end up carrying a lot of weight as well as the characters. Um, mostly the, the smash cap, if I'm being honest. That was kind of how I played that when the Dreadnoughts, because, you know, if I can't see you and I'm only moving six inches a turn, the Dreadnoughts were not getting any work done that game after I killed the initial Disco Rush. He kind of realized he couldn't stand in front of me, so he hid behind the line of sight, and I just and and he was on the center objective. Unfortunately, while doing so, um, the little units scattered around the board is what won the game. The scouts were absolute monsters.
0: Yeah, that's a that's really great. Yeah, I actually had a very similar experience where I, in my case, I had a Terminator unit and a Centurion unit, and I used the Terminators as bait, basically the same exact way you used your Centurions just to get him to come out of his position so I could start interacting with him. So. Yeah, it makes total sense how you solved that problem.
3: Yeah. and uh,
0: It's just interesting that I was hoping you would say you found a way to completely circumnavigate that problem somehow. You didn't. Uh, you didn't. No,
3: uh, the list is yeah. not perfect, Um, even if it is made up of iron hands and therefore unbeatable in the current internet. Um, true. no, No, I, I, the problem definitely existed and that it reared its head in that game. And I really had to stop and take about two or three minutes on my clock and kind of think about how I was going to get out of it because about turn two i was convinced i was screwed and really what it came down to was my opponent thought that the centurions were the threat and the centurions were not the threat um they went out there purely because they were the biggest model that i could put in line of sight that he would want to shoot at and fortunately he took the bait because if he had just backed away from them stayed behind the l and shot all of my scouts to death i think he probably takes that game by a couple points
0: that's pretty much exactly how I feel. If TJ instead of committing three Discalords to my Terminator unit, which I used as bait, if he just cast Doom Bolt at me or something, or threw even one Discalord with Death Hex at me, that sent you, that Terminator unit was still going to die, and
3: uh, I wouldn't have nearly as much to show for, nearly enough to show for it. Yep. Um, so definitely an issue. I think uh, it's it's not a perfect list, but I think that's also a relatively rare circumstance.
0: Yeah, it's it takes a very clever opponent to put you in that spot, and he has to have the right list and the right terrain and the right mission to do it.
3: Yes, yeah, it, was, it has to be yeah, objective. You find yourself either. in that spot, it's, it's really hard. Yeah, I, that, was my, um, that was my most nervous moment of the weekend by far.
1: Okay, so that, that does bring me to a question then. Um, <clears throat> you sort of outlined a scenario where you said, well, you said a couple times in that discussion that the list isn't perfect. So what kinds of things are you considering to, like, further tune the list like uh, what would you what would you change about it I guess
3: um, while it's not perfect I do like it very much I do think it's very strong um, pending an Iron Hands FAQ that may or may not eventually come out uh, we have no idea at this point um, I would probably look at I would probably consider going to the two dreadnought build that uh, Nick was running um, I don't necessarily think that it's better I'm actually on paper convinced that mine is better but I want to play it just to make sure um, and then, you know, kind of as we mentioned before, adding more Thunderfires would be uh, absolutely awesome. Um, I've also considered dropping one of the Dreadnoughts and the tech marine for a Chaplain Dreadnought because I functionally have the same number of character Dreadnoughts. I just cut down on a random character who literally stands in my backfield the entire game.
1: That's interesting. So you get the value of a Chaplain. So like, I feel like Chaplain Dreads are kind of expensive. They're like 192 points with... Um, last cannons, but if you take the 90 points off, you're going to invest in a Chaplain anyway. It doesn't feel quite as bad, right?
0: Yeah. Or even in John's list, he takes a, one of the Dreadnoughts he's running right now is about 150 points, and the Tech Marine he's running right now is 45, and just put them together and you get a character Dreadnought. Yeah. Skip the Tech
3: Marine. If, if you have HQ slots already, I would not say that a, a Chaplain Dreadnought is worth it, but I'm considering this kind of an expectation that character Dreadnoughts will go to 0-1 to one at some point. And at that point, I would probably be more willing to invest in one. As it is, I'm, I'll happily spend the command point for better guns and saving 40 points. But Yeah, I would definitely agree with this assessment. The Chaplain Dreadnought does have some cool value because, you know, plus one hit, plus one to wound, whichever buff you choose in a shooting army can be pretty cool. I mean, you can make a, a Thunderfire cannon plus one to wound and then shoot it twice. Uh, you or,
0: really can't. I mean, you can, but like Thunderfire specifically... Uh, uh, it's at the closest, closest to the it's closest, closest yes, visible yes. oh is it closest, closest visible it. Yeah. Close. well so yeah it's almost never going to come up
2: yeah
3: literally ignore that entire section then
0: cut it out we should keep it in there though because i like making
3: fun of john yeah, shoot all right yeah don't do that one then i promise yeah. i would have checked that before i did it in game just not in theory
0: it's okay you already told me white it's actually move places
1: so. <laughs> yeah so um do you want to talk about like some of the strengths of white scars and why your your list is really a primarily white scars list, right, with a firing base? Um, do you want to talk about some of the advantages that you found with her? Yeah, absolutely.
3: Um, I I don't want to overlap too much on your episode with Innis. Um, all the strengths of white scars that you described there are still valid in my list. Um, but really, it, it's this it's the speed and the threat range, and then the versatility of their characters. Um, compared to Raven Guard, which would be the other thing that could fill this role. White Scars get much better Warlord traits and relics on their characters is really why I stuck with them even after reading Raven Guard Supplement. So a couple of the toolkits in there. Um, The the Snare Master. The Master of snares. he cannot be understated how valuable he is. He single-handedly won me my game against Richard Sealer because I got him into combat and then spent nine rounds of close combat hugging his stuff and preventing him from shooting me with his entire army while I got to shoot him with my entire army. And that, Do you
0: feel like snares? Sorry to interrupt you. Do you yeah. feel like snares is a, Obviously, it's amazing. You can pin armies in place, and that, that's great. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like it's a little too unreliable as a strategy? Um, because at the end of the day, it's, it's four up rerollable, 75% chance to work, and it's rerollable from a command point for those of you keeping up. Um, but I, I personally failed it and lost the game because I banked on it uh, and failed it. And, um, you know, sometimes your back's against the wall. You have to go for it because what else
3: are you going to do It's an army
0: designed to do that?
3: And then 25% chance Uh to just lose. So my logic there was that I wasn't going to commit him to trap one unit because 75% chance, unless I am losing the game and this is the only way I'm getting back in it.
0: That's how I found myself there.
3: (laughs) Yeah. And if you're in that situation, sometimes you got to take that risk. Um, however, I personally was not willing to commit him unless I was getting three units in combat
0: three. You wouldn't even settle for two.
3: Um, against a, so in the game specifically with secret, the one where he was the most clutch. Um, no, uh, I would not have put him out for two units. I only would have gone for three, uh, just because I was not willing to, I, you know, if you're playing against a really good opponent, you cannot give them one chance to take him out because if they do and he dies, that's a really bad situation for me. Um, Against a normalist, if I have a unit to move up in front to screen him, I'll absolutely do it. What I did in most of my other games was the turn that I was sending the the snare captain in, I would spend the one command point to give my centurion squad minus one to hit when they advance, and they would all go into the same combat, and if he managed to fall back from all of it, then at least I would have the minus one to hit centurions in front of them. And at that point, I'm very unlikely.
0: Even though you're planning on not getting any value out of that strat, it's an insurance policy, basically. Absolutely, because
3: the way I see it, if I have my Centurions locked in combat with this, this mash captain in a unit that I got to charge, and then I hold them there, the game's over. Um, there's no army that can both shoot through a Centurion unit and gets me stuck in combat with them and is happy about it. So one way or another, I'm profiting. Uh, if I spend a command point to ensure that the game is over, so be it. And I guess you're afforded that luxury
0: um, because you're you're playing this non-engaging game going into that point. So you can just wait it out, forcing your opponent to come to you so you can actually hit three units at once.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the, the three units at once was more of a reference to the Tau game where they have so many small units. If I'm playing against another Space Marine list, getting three units at once is darn near impossible. Um, right. So I don't want to make it sound like that's the only thing I'll wait on but usually if I think I'll get a better opportunity later, I will happily wait. If my opponent has a small model, small unit count army or is very spread out and I know that two is the best shot I'm getting, I'll go for it. I'll just try to make sure that I'm planning around it not being a guarantee uh, because if you have three rolls, um, so like two rolls and a command point reroll, you're looking at, I want to say an 87.5% chance of success, which is a 12.5% chance of failure. That's almost the same odds as do i roll a one on any given dice roll and that is not something i'm willing to, to risk a game on yeah basically
0: um so i guess my next question follow-up for that is how often did you use snares how, how integral did you find it to your success as a white scars player i know some games like Siegler and tau it's going to be the game breaker but what about other matches like, I can't imagine it was too useful against Disco Lords and Knights, for example.
3: I actually didn't take it against the Disco Lords and Knights because there was nothing I wanted to stay in combat with in that list. Yeah. <laughs> um,
2: <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah. <laughs> if my opponent never wanted to fall back, I was going to let him. Um, so, <laughs> with that in mind, um, I, I only actually got the Snare Captain into combat that I did not then kill everything in two of my games um, one of them I just consolidated into a Rhino just because I could and I happened to pass snares and I was like, oh great This is cool. Now he's not moving on to an objective and then I killed him in combat and kept going on my way uh, The other game with Siegler, um, I think I might have actually I think I got the snare captain with Thunderfire Cannon once and stopped it from falling back But that wasn't massive uh, Because you know, it was gonna fall back and not shoot So it falling back didn't really matter because I had other closer units to prevent uh, him targeting me anyway Uh, Really the only game where it was integral to my success was the game against Siegler Um, Other than that while it's very nice. It was more the threat of it than anything else where unfortunately I never got the snare captain into a repulsor Um, However, by positioning him out of line of sight in ruins with like a scout squad in front of him I was very much able to control where my opponent was sending their repulsors and that was really where the value went in because um, You know whenever I have a threat like that I'll sometimes overemphasize it just to make sure that my opponent is aware of how badly it can go for him and see if that'll affect his decision-making. So while I never got the Snare Captain into a Repulsor, you know, it's very easy for me to oversell. You still
0: definitely impacted the game,
3: yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I made sure that they knew it so that, you know, because sometimes that's even better because at that point I'm 100% getting some success out of it. Whereas if I go into a Repulsor because my opponent didn't know any better, well, there's a 25% chance that the plan fails anyway, and my opponent suddenly gets an advantage on me.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it makes total sense. Um, I had a question, but I forgot. John, do you have anything you want to ask right now?
1: Yeah, I wanted to ask um, if you considered like uh, other out-of-line-of-sight shooting, like a, you know any of the Whirlwind, Ilk, or maybe the Scorpius, those kind of things.
3: I went away from the Whirlwinds. Um, There was something I looked at in testing. I went away from them because they're just a little bit too large. Um, Again, I'm trying to get as much out of line of sight as possible. So everything I have is either a character or very small profile like a Thunderfire Cannon, or it's an infantry model that I can stick inside of a Ruin and will not be seen. Um, I actually do really like Whirlwinds. Um, I know some people dislike them more than others. I do think that the Whirlwind is a very valuable unit. It's just that I don't have the target saturation to make that not a priority target. If someone can see a whirlwind, it's probably the biggest thing that they can see, so it's just going to get shot at in my list.
1: Yeah, and I suppose it just gives them an outlet for their las cannons or their other good anti tank guns. Uh, if you can't hide it, it just gives them a way to utilize those. Where a lot of times against your list, if it wasn't there, they wouldn't have anything to shoot It yeah. was yeah. worth anything. Like if they're shooting a the scout with a las gun, you're winning, right? You're like. Go ahead, buddy. You got him. <laughs> yeah, it's also,
0: the way John's List plays, I think, is it wants it to present, like, one threat at a time to you, like the scents show up and charge, and they're locked in close combat, and they need to deal with that now. If you have that in a whirlwind, and you can't shoot the scents, I guess you're going to shoot that whirlwind.
3: Yeah. I, I literally play the army like Gene Steeler Cult that has random, untargetable last cannons.
0: Yeah, that's exactly how I envision the army. <laughs> <laughs> um,
3: Gene Stiller Cult with a two-up armor save and free last cannons, I like a you know, why not, right?
0: <laughs> it's better. Marines are
3: balanced. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, so, uh, were there any units you didn't take that you considered taking? Um, specifically, I know Inis was seeing a lot of success with small intercessor squads. I see a lot of white scar players doing Vanguard. Um, what are your thoughts on all these units?
3: Uh, I did some playtesting with incursors where I was just substituting them for scout squads and they were actually very valuable because they were a relatively tough unit you know, that I could put out of line of sight. Um, mm-hmm. I enjoyed them, and the, pardon me, the nerf to the, uh, the exploding sixes in the Spaceman FAQ, which was 100% justified for the record, um, that kind of cooled me off of them as well as them not having a released model yet. It means I just didn't want to go to the effort of converting them. Um, I I went through a couple of those units, and I did like how they played, and that is actually something that I will probably play test again with once I actually have the models in my hand. Um, it just didn't feel like it was so much better than Eliminators that I was going to take the extra time to convert it, considering that I, have, I had to have the entire army built and painted in about two and a half weeks from when I bought it. So I just decided to go for the easier effort build there.
0: Yeah, that makes perfect sense again, of course. Um, so there's no... Um... Other real units you were going to taking besides those? Um, really?
3: Really, hold, I suppose. really, it's uh, the HQ variants are what I've looked at the most. Um, I'm very happy with the Assault Centurions. Um, I don't like Terminators. Would
0: you at all go up in Assault Centurions?
3: Uh, if I had the points, absolutely. And again, if they nerf um, if they nerf dreadn- the character Dreadnoughts, I probably would. Uh, I own 15 Centurions. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, that would be pretty fun build if I just dropped five extra in the list. Um, yeah. and I actually have six more in the mail that I'm embarrassed to admit I might have an addiction <laughs> <laughs> Yeah it's the, the new drug It's the, the centurions are the new drug uh, Hopefully yeah. it'll become a form of currency in a post-apocalyptic world uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, I would absolutely add more centurions and really it's the character variations that I'm looking at the most Uh, really I'm looking at switching the jump pack captain to a bike captain because of the new ITC rule of if it sits, it fits Um, so I kind of want to add a bike captain for the speed that they get with white scars. I had been ignoring them because, you know, sometimes my opponent just parks every single wave serpent on the second floor of a building and that sucks because he's just useless in that game. But if that, uh, rules interpretation becomes more widespread, then bike characters become a lot more valuable because by being a bike character, you unlock a lot more bonuses being white scars because a lot of their, uh, their chapter trait and, um, their stratagems are keyed around having the bike keyword. As well as um, having a fixed advance roll, just means that advance and charge becomes that more powerful, that much more powerful. I think that a normal, I think that a space marine bike moves fourteen advances, flat six. Yeah, that's correct. Twenty inches of movement guaranteed is very, very fast if you know that you can charge after that.
1: Yeah, Yeah. and then you also have the option of adding the the relic bike, right? So uh, for another two inches of movement and pseudo fly. So I mean. I'm not saying you would do that often, but you have the option if you have a bike captain.
3: Yeah, more options is always good. Um, I don't rate that relic very highly because um, you can move over terrain models, but you cannot charge over terrain models. So again, you could, and also because it doesn't actually have the true flag keyword, you can't land on the second floor of ruins. So to me, I didn't see it as valuable. But again, if the fits it sits becomes more widespread, I'd probably look at it again.
0: Are you not concerned with uh, the inability to charge flyers? By losing the, the jump pack?
3: You know, I'm really not. Um, to be honest with you, um, I've had three playtest games into lists with um, four-plus flyer, flyers, I think. Um, I did not have any issue with them at all. Um, the Venerable Dreadnoughts are just brutal in that matchup. Um, now, again, if the Iron Hand flyers become more widespread, i probably have to reconsider that stance, but Eldar flyers specifically, the or any Toughness 6 flyer, the venerable Dreadnoughts are just brutal. Uh, ballistic skill 2 really makes a the difference there. Uh, and that, the Strength 7, just hits very efficiently, wounds very efficiently, does more damage than the other Flyers are used to taking. And again... The
0: reason I really liked my uh, my Jump Pack, Captain, specifically, and I have, I have the Dreadnoughts too, which are super efficient for his Flyers, is because I was afraid of a Flyer flying right next to my Dreadnoughts, rolling hot for damage, because admittedly, between the half damage strat and things like that, he should not be picking one up or if he flies two over, maybe he does. I didn't want him to be able to roll hot and get it done and pick up a dreadnought. So, Or if I if he did go for it, I wanted to be able to punish him really hard. So I wanted a jump pack captain to just be like, hey, if you come over here, I'm punching your face off.
2: Yeah,
3: and to be fair, I, I did have the jump pack captain, um, and that certainly was a consideration in it. Um, I think statistically, before you include the new psychic awakening stuff, which I wasn't accounting for, I don't actually think a Crimson Hunter Exarch is capable of killing a half damage venerable dreadnought, even if he gets max damage. Um,
0: I guess no, he, he definitely is. He could do 10, ten technically. But okay. again, he'd throw nuts to do it. But yeah. I was thinking like he could fly two over realistically. Yeah. Or if your opponent forgets you have half damage and just flies one over, and then you surprise I have half damage, and uh then he's just sacrificed a crimson hunter.
3: You want something there to take advantage of it? Exactly. That makes sense. Um, I actually used uh, my jump pack chaplains in that role because, you know, they're flying characters too and they are multi-damage. Um, but no, the, the, the captain is very valuable in that. What I've been thinking is, um, again, I've been brainstorming a lot based on what may or may not be in it, an iron hands nerf just because everyone is clamoring for it right now. Um, I might do one of each captain at that point. So that I can look at my opponent's list, decide which one will be most valuable, and then have that one stack up on the relics and good warlord traits.
0: That makes sense. So uh, one of the big things with Space in General is your warlord traits and your relics. I guess we can get that into the next episode, so scratch that thought. Um, um, Is there anything you would change in your list going forward, maybe if not for the ITC format, but for other formats too? Just anything you were unhappy with or felt like was unoptimal?
3: Um, probably, I would actually probably go back to what you had mentioned earlier, where Innis has the more, the tougher troops units. I might actually go to a couple of the, um, incursor squads, the, one of the forward infiltrating power armor primaries units, um, right. or scouts, just because I do want to have something a little more durable forward. Um, I have even considered cutting to one century unit to make that happen. And then making a lot of units uh, a little bit tougher just to go for a, more spread
0: uh, makes a lot of sense. Actually, in my latest version of Marine list that I wrote this morning, um, I f- forewent all of my scouts and turned them into either intercessors or infiltrators, just because I'm so sick of getting thunder fired off the board.
3: I would like to point out that at Nova, I showed you a list with that, and you laughed at me and said I should take scouts. Marines weren't even at Nova. I know they weren't even allowed at Nova. They were out. They just you know weren't allowed.
1: Hey, no. hey, John, I'll, I'll back you up because yes. I've showed Nick. Every time I've him a list with uh, Intercessors in it, he's just like, why do you take two wound scouts that are just going to die? That's yep. literally what he said to me. And then a so, month
3: later, it becomes his best idea.
1: Yeah, exactly.
3: You guys are
0: the worst. <laughs> Sign up for my coaching.
3: It's <laughs> 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 actually a pretty
0: good um, Yeah, it's it's not like that guy's, actually. <laughs> no, his, <laughs> it's,
1: legitimately, his coaching is the best thing that ever happened to me in this game. So. Uh, I've gotten much better because of it.
3: I would actually say that it's the worst thing that happened to me because everyone around me suddenly got better. It's kind of a pain.
0: This that probably helped you get better though too.
3: Yeah, I mean, I still beat them. Wow. <laughs> All right. So we'll um, give them another
0: three months of this. <laughs> <laughs>
3: there we go. All right. So, um, and kind of back to that question. Yeah, I would probably change by beefing up some of the smaller units a little bit because again, the triple thunder fires did get a little bit ridiculous on my poor scouts.
1: That is that is interesting to think about uh, just turning turning all of your stuff into two-moon stuff so that you reduce the value of opposing Thunderfires. Because I think that as people play, because I play triple Thunderfire at BFS, and I, I don't know that I'll build a Marine list without three Thunderfire cannons in it. Now, maybe if I go to some tournaments and I don't have places to hide them, it might change my opinion. But they're so good in the mirror, and there's going to be Marines everywhere, and they're so good in most matchups. I mean, there's a couple, like an all-flyer matchup, maybe they're not great, but otherwise they're just money in the, money in the bank. They're so well, I think, good.
0: I think for right now they definitely are, but the meta may adjust to a point where they're not. Um, when Imperial Fists come out, if you guys saw those, having a non-Imperial Fist Thunderfires versus Imperial Fist anything pretty much means you're going to lose the artillery war really badly because an Imperial Fist Thunderfire will probably one-shot a non-Imperial Fist Thunderfire being that it ignores covering and is just flat 2 damage. Yeah. So you may just see that if you're not taking... If you're taking Imperial Fist Thunderfires, if, if you're not going to take those, you're just not running Thunderfires because they just instantly die. Or maybe you run one for some tech as Tremor Shells. Yeah, I think or I would one of them. you might just see Tremor Shells just, or Thunderfires leave them at all together because Imperial Fists just kill them all. doesn't matter what color they are. It'll, it's some interesting stuff. Like Marine Theory... As far as artillery wars, is like I could take Thunderfires. Well, I'll take a Scorpius to kill your Thunderfires. Well, I'll just take Whirlwinds. What if I just see your Whirlwinds? There's no real end to it. It's kind of like game theory boiled down.
3: Yeah, it really is. Um, that's kind of what the character dreadnoughts were. It's, you know, if someone wants to Whirlwind my Thunderfire, well, I just need to see them with a character dreadnought, and I can risk the character dreadnought without them seeing me back. And that was me trying to one up what I felt was going to one up my indirect fire.
0: Exactly.
1: Yeah. <laughs> It's like the Inception Marine Inception. Um, marine Inception. I'm just glad I didn't burn any brain cells on that. Good gravy. Going in that circle. <laughs> Jeez, yeah, I, I I'm not advanced burned enough. way
0: too many brain cells in that circle. Yeah. <laughs> um, awesome. Well, I definitely want to get your insights on Marine Mirror matches and everything
3: else in the meta, if there is any,
0: um, in the next episode. But is there anything else you guys wanted to cover in
3: this one? No, I think that was pretty great, actually. Sorry, if no, I yeah. let you guys down a rabbit
2: hole. Oh, no,
1: you, you're, you did great. I, I really appreciated a lot of your list choices, and I'm interested to hear about the tactical discussion, which we'll have in episode two. Um, but before we get to that, I just wanted to point out that uh, this week on Stat Center, they released a really cool episode about all the stats for Iron Hands. So if you guys actually want real data to back up, maybe how you're feeling about Iron Hands being a little OP in the meta right now. It's worth listening to, so I would just point people to that. And
0: yeah, also I'd like to thank Frontline Gaming Network for letting us be a part of them. That's pretty
3: cool. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, am I allowed to plug Man Stuff in here?
1: Oh, please. please.
3: Uh, yeah. Well, uh, come check out the my podcast. It's Florida Man Forty K. We're on Facebook, YouTube, iTunes, all the good stuff. Um, Actually, my co-host and I were the ones who played on top table, so we had a Florida Man top table. Uh, we were the last two five and O's, so we'll be talking about that in our episode that we're filming. Uh, right after I'm off with you guys.
1: Rock on. Awesome.
0: Well, thanks for listening, guys. Uh, That was uh, John, so you go check him out. And uh, this was another episode of the Art Award War podcast, and we'll see you guys later. Peace.
2: Like the strategy discussion you heard? Want to hear more about the tactics of this list? Sign up for our Patreon at aow40k.com where we go deep into details of optimal play. This has been Art of War, a strategy and tactics podcast for Warhammer 40K. Hosted by Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Produced by Seamus Ronan. Find us at aow40k.com. And of course, connect. On Facebook, just look for AOW40K. 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 Till next time.